that time again for another episode of scaring is sharing it's a special episode it is it's still a podcast though where we share spooky news and frightful views with each other and you about all things horror but today less of that more of a focus on the excitement of episode 110 110 110 and another exciting guest yeah another super exciting guest and the guest that i've known the longest of all the guests we've had and i've known him for over a decade wow i know i'm not it's like oh a decade but that's a long time okay it really is <laughs> we've known each other from boys to men which was my first concert I ever saw by the way cool <laughs> <laughs> first of all you are jeremy the original sasquatch slim rusk and you are the flaming scream queen himself, Brandy Joe Plenbeck. Oh, flamey, 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 flamey. And our guest is Nico the Knave. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Nico. Oh, my God. It is so good to have you on. It's been in the works for a very long time, Nico. The anticipation has been <laughs> building. Yes. And Jeremy is always like, no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but Nico, how is life? What is up? Life is very good. I'm uh, up here in the uh, Catskills of New York, out in yeah. the, with the mountain folk and the Yetis. That's very exciting. So you have lived there for how long now? Uh, about a year and a half. And prior to that, you were where? Uh, my wife and I were in Brooklyn in uh, Sunset Park, which is uh, a fun mix of Chinatown of Brooklyn, as well as the big Hasidic community of Brooklyn. So it's mm, uh, nice. A big mashup of strange worlds. And tell the listeners how we know each other. Yes, Brandy Joe and I have a long sordid history. Sorted. Uh, sorted. Ooh, Ooh, do tell. Do tell. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> a lot of secrets in the cellar. Uh, yeah, we worked together for in the room with the Ringwald for a many few years, I guess. One show, really. Only. Really one show. But yeah, I worked with your brother a lot. Yes, definitely. And, and I saw I, you perform many a time. I was just talking about you with Dog Sees God, which is, if you don't know, it's like a fucked up version of like the Peanuts. And Nico played the, what was Linus. the Linus. Linus. And you like smoked a fake joint on stage. But I still remember to this day, there were like reviews about how long you held like the hit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it took many bong rips of fake weed that um <laughs> was i think way worse for me than any of the real thing would have been for sure <laughs> but we've always also had like such a kinship about scary movies like i think your brother some but like you more so like we had that like really strong connection i think yes. always many nights coming to the ringwald with you getting to watch lots of fun spooky trailers and horror movies in the stands after shows which um i think yeah. was kind of the beginning of what made us realize that there was sort of a shared love for horror there. Yeah. And you've written into the podcast quite a few times, and we'll get to that a little later, because you usually have a typical theme of what you write in about, and I want to talk some more about that as well. Mm -hmm. But to kick us off, some questions that we ask a lot of our guests, but it's always very different because they're very personal. So first of all, what is your overall horror aesthetic? Like, what do you love in horror? What really speaks to you? Hmm... Um, my horror vibe, I guess, um, I tend to go really for that 
sweet, sweet spot of horror and comedy. I love mm-hmm. a movie that can really set me on edge, but also unexpectedly make me laugh. I find a lot of the times that horror and comedy kind of share a similar kind of genetic makeup of, um, you know, sort of extreme emotion that catches you off guard that I really like. And when a movie can really balance those two well and not go like too far in one direction, I think those are the ones that really sit with me the best that I come back to a lot. Yeah. Jeremy, you've talked about that, right? Like how they share the same emotion and they're like, yeah, yeah, not one of the same, but yes, that sort of shared sort of thing too. And I had recently seen a little interview with Jordan Peele talking about how comedy and horror are natural. They're two sides of the same coin where it's about Mm. uh, managing, you know, audience expectation where it's about the setup and then the release and they both operate in the same way, like trying to scare somebody and trying to make them laugh. It's very similar mechanics at play. Totally. And I feel like a lot of horror movies have that go-to of, you know, you get a laugh after a really big scare just because it makes you kind of put down your haunches a little bit and then yeah. you're more susceptible to being scared but yeah yeah the tension release yeah i feel like going beyond that when you can have something that's almost goofy but still can feel grounded enough in the end where it then scares you again is kind of its own beast that i love mm-hmm. now side tangent did you all watch the evil dead rises trailer no because I think it came oh, out yes. yesterday. So, oh no, I missed it. Oh no. Yeah, and I, I just, I of course won't watch it because I'm very anti the trailers. But like, I read a little bit about just the vibe of it, and it said it's going more. It seems to be going more, of course, from the trailer, like more Evil Dead remake and less Evil Ash versus the Evil Dead, like more mm-hmm. hardcore, less amusing and kitschy, funny. Yeah, wild, that makes slapsticky. That would make sense. Is that what it looks like, Nico? I think so. Although, didn't they say, did Bruce Campbell hint that he's going to be in this? Or is that something I keep I'm reading making? no. No. He he keeps saying but... no, but Bruce Campbell is a known liar about those sorts of things. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, he very well could pop up in it, but we'll see. Hopefully just as, like, a Sam Raimi homage character where he's just, like, a random street vendor or, like, a homeless guy or someone yeah, who pops up. That would be great if he's <laughs> he's just, like, he's the landlord or something like that. That would be amazing. His cameo in the remake is just doesn't make any sense. Like it's just there at the end. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's so random. It doesn't tie in at all, except for he's Ash and it's obviously in like the same world with his car and stuff like that. But it's just it's it's just so odd and out of place. My understanding was originally they were going to do an Evil Dead that would have been five, like after the remake that would have tied together um mm. you know like it's all parallel universes or some you know something like that but then all of that became part of ash versus evil dead instead of a movie and it kind of changed and morphed into something else so that's why that doesn't seem to make sense because they never did anything to follow up on it and explain it they just went off and did a different project so okay kind of like a maybe we'll follow up with this yeah maybe <laughs> and then we didn't so <laughs> <laughs> leave that placeholder yeah yeah. And w- where do you go as far as are you more of a classic sort of guy or more of like a modern contemporary sort of person when it comes to if you had to choose one or the other, where would you go? Mm, that's tough. I guess. Um, well, now there's such a good resurgence of all these kind of throwback horror movies. I feel like we're getting that whole 70s horror revival of, in a big way that I love. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, 
obviously the classics are hard to not put up at the top pinnacle of the list, like the Rosemary's Babies and the Exorcists and all that good stuff and the Shining and Alien, if you call that horror. Um, yeah. I guess you yeah. yeah, it's a slasher movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but oh, I love all the new stuff, especially this year. I mean, Shudder is killing it with finding new, crazy, interesting stuff that's coming from all over the world. And they are just doing a good job of kind of taking things that wouldn't necessarily be in theaters and getting them wide appeal, which I don't know if you've heard, but there's some sad news in the Shutter world with uh, AMC is doing massive layoffs across the board. And I guess shutter has been getting hit hard. And a lot of people are oh. very nervous because shutter is like AMC's top dollar big dog right now. Yeah. Oh, that seems to be uh, the news throughout the uh, industry as far as television and movies goes, because HBO had the giant restructuring when they merged with uh, Discovery. And that's throwing into question whether like Cartoon Network will continue to exist as a thing. And right. Yeah, Adult Swim has already similar to Shudder. Like, that's like the thing that keeps Cartoon Network going. But hmm. they may cease to exist at some point because they have nobody working for that department anymore. So that's such a bummer. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer because Shudder really has been uh, the last two years. It's like everything. they All their original stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every week, new stuff. And it just like bringing back old things that like you didn't know that there was a good version of it out there and documentaries and series like it's just it's. It's so good. And it really has come a long way, like you said, in the last two years. Like, I think I've had it for a little longer, but it used to be like, oh, it's fine. You can occasionally find something on there. But now you can almost always. Yeah. Like the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series, the classic yeah. series is on there right now. Their curation is like top notch for like what they cycle through. So, so good. And now it's like when you hear something gets picked up by Shutter, it's almost as exciting as like a A24 or something. You're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. going to be good. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. This is a really important one. Ooh. What is the first horror movie you ever remember seeing? Ooh, that's a good question. I I have a famous story that I love to tell people. I don't know if it really counts as <laughs> horror, but my parents uh, would take me to very inappropriate movies at very young ages in theaters <laughs> when I was mm-hmm. uh, really young. And kind of the pinnacle of that was they took me to see Seven when I was seven. Oh. which i love to throw out there and people like in the audience were very upset with my parents i remember that very clearly Uh um not really necessarily Uh horror pretty horrific oh yeah Um, adjacent for sure adjacent i i would call it a horror movie i think it's i think it's got enough horrific elements that like it is a full-on horror movie it horrified me at seven that's for sure (laughs) and uh Helped wow. that whole desensitization path of my life that led me to the happy, deranged man I am today. Yeah. Do, but, do you remember, though, did it, like, upset you in the theater? Like, were you, like, crying upset or did, were you just, like, in shock? I was, even by that point, I think I was, like, a lot of this is really cool because okay. I always had sort of that. I mean, you know, I've always been into anything I was read at a very young age. It was, like, if it said horror or spooky or monsters like that was my go-to so i always seeked that stuff out but i do remember the scene where they made the man strap the um knife dildo yeah that 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 
came that came home with me uh-huh. <laughs> definitely where i was just like what was that what was happening there oh yeah like we're not explaining that to you mm-hmm. but the first real true horror movie i remember sneaking into in theaters is one that i think i've written into you guys about before um which was tales from the crypt demon night oh yes, yes. and i was supposed to go see a kid's movie and I just like went to the theater next to it. So I was like, I want to see this instead. And that was my first introduction to the Crypt Keeper and all of it. And I still, that movie holds a very tender place in my heart. I think because of that. Oh, yeah. for sure. Billy Zane's finest performance. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Definitely. And Thomas so Hayden Church. Such yes. a jerk. Oh, so good. It's, oh, Jada. it's so great. Oh, oh, Jada, great. everyone. CC Pounder, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. CH Pounder. Yeah. CCH founder. CCH. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah talk niece. about horror and comedy. That. Balance. Oh yeah. That one is yeah. great. And I did not expect cylinders. to like it. Yeah. I did not <laughs> yeah. think it was going to be any good. And it was such a, a fun little ride. Yeah. It's whimsical and it is. gory. Yeah. Yeah. My niece is 10 and she this week has called me twice because she read this book called Red Rover that she got at the Scholastic Book Club. And it has like a dog with like red eyes and it's like this dog they find on the side of the road and it can like control people's minds and like make them like, I don't know, like crazy things happen. And there's like rats everywhere at one point. She just like was so excited. So she would call and tell me all about it, like read chapters to me. And I'm like, oh my God, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to read that book now. That sounds amazing. (laughs) That sounds sounds awesome. Scholastic book fair. Nothing was more exciting. Oh my God. That's where I got all my goosebumps. Oh yes, definitely. My teacher is an alien and all those kind of good stuff. <gasps> oh, I loved those. <laughs> I remember getting the VHS for the Babysitter's Club, Dawn in the Haunted House. That's what stands <laughs> out to me about <laughs> the Scholastic Book Club. <laughs> what a little fairy. Oh my God, I love it. Oh my God, that seven story is rich, Nico. I cannot believe I don't know that. That is so, so good. So furthermore, I mean, I know you touched on like some of the classics, but like, what are some of your all-time favorite horror movies? Let's, let's put it this way. If if you were stranded on a deserted island and they were like, you can take five DVDs with you to have for the rest of your life, however long you're on there, what five horror movies would you take with you? Oh, that's so hard. You know, it always changes. So I'll go sure. with where I am right now in my yeah. life. <laughs> um, I mean, I got to put Demon Knight on there just because I Ooh. think I've watched that more times than ever. Like, it's a comfort movie to me. It's like cozying up with the old Crypt Keeper. Um, but... I mean, it's hard not to put The Exorcist. I think I've watched that almost every year. Um, and Nightmare on Elm Street is probably my favorite series. So I'd probably go with like Dream Warriors, maybe mm-hmm. New Nightmare. Both of those are great. The first one I love, no disrespect to the first one, but <laughs> um, Freddy gets also more whimsical as you go along. And I love goofy Freddy, who has like a real sense of humor that mm-hmm. cracks me up. Um, and other big ones, honestly, like I'm so enamored with X from this year. I've watched oh. that movie like six times now. And oh, wow. that's like really getting up there for me in terms of rewatchability. Cool. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that kind of pop off the top of my mind. Have you guys answered this question before? I'm interested to hear what kind of comes to mind. I feel like it's so hard when you're 
you have to choose from the infinite pool. Yeah, yeah, the infinite pool. I don't think we ever have. I don't think I thrown off like, the deserted island thing. Just like, yeah. what are your favorites? But I or never I a like top the, five. Yeah, the extreme of like they don't even have to be your top five, but like the five that you would rewatch like over and over. Like if they were the only things you had, I yeah always enjoy that question. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I can do it. that. I'm gonna see if I can do it. Like right now. Right now, yeah. What are they? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and fire it up. Uh, probably John Carpenter's The Thing. I think I've I visit that sometimes multiple times a year. I rewatch that at least two or sometimes three times a year. I love that movie. Best effects um, ever. Yeah, that's definitely up there. Oh God, I mean probably the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, that's another one. Well, you had one slot left, Nico. Okay, so. that was it. That's okay. it. Definitely. There it I watched that movie a lot. That's <laughs> yeah, a great. I, I watched that a lot too. Like since I just I discovered it in high school and it turned into like an obsession that just has <laughs> continued yeah um also funny i think in yeah, a weird way yeah darkly mm-hmm. funny yeah absolutely yeah. uh let's see what else probably oh this is this is hard this is hard i mean probably more john carpenter with the original halloween um and i'm gonna do two more let's see really i'm trying to think of like what are the ones the my most favorite that I've seen more times than anything else. You know, I'm going to throw in the original Frankenstein, James Whale. That is, that is a definite contender. I'd be shocked if you hadn't thrown in a classic classic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's like the best, the cream of the crop of universals. Every time I revisit it, I'm like, man, this was so dark for the thirties and, there's a lot of stuff going on under the surface that oh, you're like, yeah. I'm sure audiences back then, the sophistication wasn't there yet for all the dissection that came later. And um, beautiful. Such a good. Yeah, yeah, so good. And probably, you know what? Let's get some funny in there. Shaun of the Dead. Mm, yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're going to rewatch horror movies forever, you want to have some straight up laughs too. Some probably. straight up laughs. And I've probably seen that like a hundred times easily. So yeah. Easily a hundred times? Easily. Never get sick of wow. it. <laughs> That's insane. I love it. Um, let's see. I do Nightmare on Elm Street, the OG, because I think it is the best. Uh, the final girls, because of the funny factor, and it's my favorite. Uh Scream. <laughs> so we're sensing a theme here. Mm-hmm. Um Probably a classic like um, Carrie, I'm going to say, because it's just so good. And she's just so fucking good in that movie. And then like a contemporary thing. And while I almost would say Hereditary, I think I'm going to go with Midsummer because I think that has more oh, yeah. dive into than Hereditary. Yeah. Like there's a lot in both, but I just think Midsummer, Florence Pugh. I know everyone talks about Tony Collette and she is great, but Florence Pugh in Midsummer is so, so good. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Is he going director's cut or? I've not seen the director's cut yet. Oh, wow. It's great. I need a lot more. There's like almost 45 minutes more, I think. So that makes it like a four hour movie. (laughs) The director's cut. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You really get to dive into more about their PhD dissertations. Oh, cool. Interesting. <laughs> Which yeah. everyone did. That was the biggest complaint. Yeah. Give I mean, us more. That's the nerdy kind of thing that I would be like, <laughs> yeah, I want that fleshed out. I want to understand yeah. what was going on. But and I, can... I think more backstory about like the runes. You just get it's got a lot more color to it. Mm. Cool. 
Yeah, I do have to check it out. Like, it's not on my little streaming site, so I think I would just need to rent it somewhere, like, digitally to, like, watch the whole thing. I think last time I checked on HBO Max, they had it. And whenever they do a movie on there, like, if you go below it, there's always, like, the option for watching the original or the director's cut. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're really good about that. If there is a director's cut, it'll be, like... Uh, supplemental, you know, features mm-hmm. or extra features, and sometimes they'll have. Boop, there's the director's cut of the same movie. So okay, okay, cool. Yeah, that opening scene, man. Oh my god, so good. And I just love. I mean, I know I've talked about it so many times on here, but like the juxtaposition and the similarities between Hereditary and Midsummer are just so fantastic. They both deal with grief, but like in such different ways and in similar ways and then one's dark one's light i just they're so brilliant i'm so mm. excited to see what his next movie is all about yeah I it just, sounds not so horror-y yeah mm-hmm. joaquin in a three and a half hour movie i'm always in that's suppo- <laughs> supposed to be a comedy from what i read like he mm. said it's he said it has horror elements but it's more comedic mm. so yeah Weird. it sounds kind of like phantom thready a little bit sort yeah. of yeah guy who's got too big of a head on his shoulders getting put in his place in a weird mm-hmm. way Joaquin's very good at that so oh yes yeah uh yeah what's a what's a horror movie this is a good one what's a horror movie everyone hates but you love or vice versa one you love but it seems like the world hates hmm that's a good one too. One that I love everyone hates or one that I hate everyone loves I mean I could cause a stir Right mm. now, I suppose. Yeah. Sure. Hot, hot takes. <laughs> um, shots taken at Jeremy a bit here, but oh. John Carpenter's Halloween never oh. stuck with me. I don't wow. know if it's just that I saw it too late in my life for the first mm. time and mm-hmm. it was like already deemed like the ultimate classic. Um, or just because I compare it too much to the other sort of slasher series of Jason and Freddy, but I just, you know, Michael Myers doesn't do it for me. You know, he's mm-hmm. got he's got that white face and nothing going on. And that uh, just did never appealed to me as much. It's like I want to care about my slasher as much as my slashies. Mm-hmm. OK, I've heard it. It's, you know, I, I've heard that take. So you but you I don't have, hate it. I mean, have, I still enjoy it. It's not yeah. so violent of a hate. Yeah. Um, how are you about the whole rest of the franchise? um similar like are you because that one didn't like like strongly resonate with you do all the other ones sort of fall in line with like that sort of feeling a bit i mean in that sense then it's like i'll go to the ones that have the best kills because then it's something fun to watch mm-hmm. <clears throat> i definitely i think h2o is the only one i saw in theaters really because that was mm-hmm. sort of of mm-hmm. my time when i was at that oh, yeah. age yeah but <clears throat> the remakes honestly like I thought we're pretty okay. The the Rob Zombie. The Rob Zombies, of, yeah. That's a contentious point right there, too. That, too. Yes, yeah. definitely. Because they were sort of more over the top, I guess. But mm-hmm. I think of all the Halloweens, honestly, number three, maybe my favorite, right. just because it is totally its own insane beast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally is. Now, have you listened to Talk Scary to Me at all, the podcast? No. Oh, check it out. Danielle Harris and Scout Taylor Compton. I thought, oh, that sounds kind of lame. But I started listening to it, and I listen to it a ton now. They have, like, 
so many episodes and it's they're so fun they talk about like sex and relationships but also horror people are always calling in oh my god is there gonna be another halloween rob zombie halloween is there gonna be a three? Oh my god are you guys being halloween kills that's like all the questions because i'm going back like a solid year or whatever like so that's always like people they take like calls on like skype and stuff but um but they're so cool so i would recommend checking it out to see if like you vibe with it but um but they're really cool and they have such yeah good stories about working with rob zombie he just seemed like such a good guy oh they worked with him yeah, they were in Halloween, the the re, the two remakes that he did. Oh, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott yep. Taylor Compton was the Laurie character, and Danielle Harris, who was in 4 and 5, also played, I don't remember which of the girls. One of the friends. Yeah, she lives <laughs> in the first one, and spoiler alert, she gets killed in the second one. Yep. <laughs> the second one definitely was a little frustrating at times, because I feel like half of that movie was a dream sequence surprise. Yep. Like every time something happens, someone wakes up. It's like okay, it's that's... it's one of it's one of those movies though too, where I do have respect for what Rob Zombie was trying to do, which was like I will okay, everyone bitches about rehashing the Halloween series. Let's take a swing and try and do something radically different with all this like psychological uh, deep dive we're doing with the characters. Oh yeah, and, and of course everybody hated it. So it's like <laughs> you can't win. You can't win with these major slasher franchises. Yeah, you know? whenever you get people who really hate something, though, that's where you get the real diehard fans too. It's like nothing better than a real polarizing movie. I yeah, like. yeah. The ones that sit in the middle are the ones that really get forgotten. Yeah, no, for sure. Have you watched Skin of Rink yet? I haven't. Still, I need okay. to. I keep on almost watching it and being like, oh, I don't know if I'm in the mood for whatever that is going to be <laughs> it is so polarizing like talk about polarizing you go on letterbox and it is just like one extreme or the other truly yeah i've heard so many people saying it's the most disturbing scariest movie they've ever seen and then some people saying it's the boring most boring movie and it's like i can't imagine how that could exist in the same space <laughs> i know i mm-hmm. know i can't wait for you to watch it because i'm really curious what you'll think of it i love Did you going see it on too, jeremy Oh, no, I haven't seen it yet, but I do love going on Letterboxd and seeing movies like that where it, it shows you, you know, the 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 graph of like yeah. ratings and they're all either at like half star or five stars and there's just like <laughs> nothing in the middle. You're like, OK, this is going to be an interesting watch. Yeah, that's usually a good sign. Yep. And I do feel some of those movies are the ones that I need to watch again. Like, in all honesty, I probably could watch Skin of Rink again to see where I fall again, kind of like we're all going to the world's fair. Like now that I've been through it once, maybe the second time being a little bit more like, okay, here's what's going, here's what this movie's all about. I would have a different experience. And it's weird how sometimes that works in your favor and sometimes against, I don't know. It's interesting, but I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again. I just, yeah. Yeah. You're more open though. when a lot of people hate it. I feel like when a movie is beloved and I watch it once and I don't like it, and then I'm always like, oh, I need to watch it again then because maybe I just missed something. And then the more times I watch it, the more I hate it even more. So I'm just like, <laughs> why am I getting bullied into watching this so many times? It's, I've, I've been thinking about Raw and redoing oh, Raw. Yeah, you I did not did like not Raw. enjoy that first experience. And now I, I want to go there. Me neither. I want to really? go back, though, because I've seen so many people God, that I, I respect their opinions say how great it is. So I, I like know. moved it into my top 10 after we watched it the last time. I know you did. And I was like, <laughs> I, 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 I saw I didn't in theaters. It. Oh, you so did? It was, it was ultimate hyped at that oh, point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there were stories of people like passing out and yeah. growing up. And whenever that happens, I feel like that's when you're setting yourself up for I heard disaster. all that yeah and then when I watched it I was like what 
part of this was like that yeah. upsetting. Like none of this was. So I yeah. you love Terrifier too, right? I was gonna say that's the only movie where I was like, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> and you hadn't seen the first one, is that correct? I watched them both back to back in two days. That's which amazing. Was great. And boy, do I love them now. I was saying this is like it felt like the birth of a new like series genre for me of this yeah. ultra gore like slasher movie because yeah when they set it up that he's going to come back again i was just like i'm ready like i want i can't wait for the next <laughs> one to see how they bring him back there i had just seen in the news too uh that there it may have already have happened i can't remember where it was but they were doing a double feature screening of terrifier one and two together Fun. with a q a being moderated by kevin smith of all oh. people. Oh, wow. I'm like with some of the filmmakers, I'm like, that would be wild. Yeah. That would. That's so funny that he, well, I guess he's got some horror movies under his belt. Yeah. He's, he's stepped into the horror arena. So Tusk is an ultimate weird. Great one. Yeah. That's so another, weird. there's a divisive one. I love Tusk and I know oh, a lot yes. of people are like, didn't get into it. So, and red state for that matter. I liked yeah. both of those. I did like red state. Yeah. Those Plus were both Kyle Gallner is in it or whatever his name is. And I yep. love him. Yep. <laughs> a very soft spot in my heart for him. <laughs> well, do you ever do you have any other polarizing opinions or like, you know, love it, hate it? I'm not too polarizing of a person in terms of my sentiment a lot of the time, even with Halloween, where it's like I kind of had to reach down in there to pull that one up because it's mm -hmm. like I'll watch anything. And if I don't like it, I'll sort of passively put it aside. And even if someone wants to watch it again, I'll still watch it and see some moments that I like out of it. Like. I'm not too much of a hater in that sense. <laughs> You're but a I, lover. <laughs> I, can I can relate to that too. Cause it's like, I rewatch so many bad movies that I'm like, this is objectively a terrible movie, but here I am watching it for the third time with somebody. Yeah. So <laughs> forces you to dig deeper to find what's good about it. Yep. But yeah, probably more in the movies I love would be polarizing. Cause there are lots of times where I'm like, I love this movie and people are just like, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's personal taste. Well, I'm going to skip to my favorite question, Nico, and that's, have you had a paranormal experience? Oh, God, I wish so bad, but <laughs> it seems like it should have happened to you. Okay. I'm just going to say I know. That. if it's, if it was going to, yeah, it would have, or like, I feel like if I was trying to seek it out too much, I would have sort of a John Cusack in 1408 situation where it's like, you spend your whole life trying to have that paranormal experience. And then it's like, you got it. And it's terrible. <laughs> and it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> and you're stuck forever. Uh -huh. I would say the closest thing I ever had was <laughs> during the big time of Pokemon Go when the world was going crazy for that. Yeah. In my neighborhood in the Sunset Park in Brooklyn, it was a super hot spot for Pokemon Go. Like anytime you went outside, there were hundreds of people milling around with their phones and you knew everyone was playing. So I got really into it. And one day I went down to Greenwood Cemetery, which is the big Brooklyn cemetery where a lot of people, very famous people are buried, including like Bill the Butcher from Gangs in New York and oh. other uh, Basquiat, lots of crazy people. Wow. And, uh, made the bad decision of catching Pokemon on graves. And I definitely had like a terrifying feeling of something close behind me looking over my shoulder often to the mm. point where like, I kind of ran out of there. Cause I was like, I, this is not something I should be doing. <laughs> like if there was paranormal stuff, 
they would get me for catching Pokemon on -hmm. their gravestones. That was yeah, like a segment out of like VHS. You're doing Pokemon (laughs) Go and you start catching ghosts in in the frame of Mm -hmm. your phone. Right. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Augmented reality (laughs) ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was sort of just this perpetual like I felt like someone was very close behind me, and I kept like looking over my shoulder to the point where I was like, "This something is weird is happening." I think that counts. Yeah, I definitely do. What about your wife Anna? Has she had anything that you know of? She dabbled a bit more with like trying to summon things i know Mm. in her teen years and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. getting more into that and dabbled in wicca for a long time so i think there was one story where there was like a night with a lot of them and some creepy things happened and someone got like pulled like their leg was pulled by something that no one could see (sighs) and has definitely stuck with her and possibly grown in its exaggeration over the years but it's told but yeah yeah i never messed around with the ouija boards so i was not uh pushing for it too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. invocation can be pretty unpredictable yeah never a good idea i've seen too many that's the good thing about watching lots of horror movies you're like i know better yeah, yeah. you know you're like i'm not probably gonna get the thing i'm trying to talk to it's just gonna that's what they say too i listen to so many paranormal podcasts but that's a common thread is usually you're doing ouija board you're doing whatever ritual to try and get one spirit you're gonna get something else most of the time because uh that's just how these things seem to work yeah and especially with a game board made by like a giant corporation i feel like that's Mm -hmm. never gonna invite a good spirit to you Mm -mm. (laughs) all that greed behind it that's just gonna pull in something entirely else (laughs) <laughs> oh, for sure. You know what? I'm going to get right to the uh, the most uh, relevant one to our guest, which is we know that you're a big reader, especially horror novels. So what are the highlights of this past year? What have you been reading? Ooh, this past year. Yeah, there's off the top of my head, there is this very cool series, which I think you both would enjoy. That was um, started by Grady Hendrix, who I knew Brandy Joe knows about. He's the author of uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism and Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And he also curates and wrote this one collection called Paperbacks from Hell, mm-hmm. where he assembled together like all of the best trashy horror novels from the 70s and 80s that were known for their like very cool cover design. Like what you imagine when you think of like a Sutter Kane book from in the mouth of madness or something like all of those great where it makes you think it's going to be a good book, but it's actually just sleazy and Mm -hmm. ridiculous. And uh, he partnered with this publishing company called Valancourt and they are reissuing a ton of different books from the seventies and eighties with their original covers Cool, and all called paperbacks from hell. And there's about like 15 or 16 of them, which I've gotten almost all of and read and they are fantastic yeah um, i gotta check that out so it yeah, says like paperbacks from hell colon night at the laundromat or whatever <laughs> i don't know why that's not <laughs> what comes to mind it's like a, a so just a tiny thing in the corner they keep the old cover okay. totally intact okay and then they have an introduction usually from grady hendrix or the other guy who does them with him this guy will erickson but it just looks like that 
book that you would have gotten back then. Yeah. And uh-huh. some of them, they even do kind of the old splotchy watercolory thing. So it looks like it's kind of worn and stuff. Nice. Um, but there are some great ones, definitely some that are a bit more of duds, but most of them, I mean, he's, he knows Grady Hendrix is like an encyclopedia of horror and yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I know he's got his own. he just wrote a book, uh, about Kung Fu movies. Yeah. He's like a huge Kung Fu fanatic too. Yeah. Which I I want to definitely read that. Cause it's called like, I can't remember something about fists of fury or something like right. that about, yeah, it's a history of the Kung Fu movie explosion coming from Hong Kong over to America. Um, yeah. I, I want to read that for sure. He's a wacky guy. He's yeah. got a very funny podcast as well. I'm not oh, sure cool. if it's still going, but yeah, he just kind of goes over old different kind of spooky lore and mm-hmm. origin stories of different spirits or cryptids and stuff. Um, oh, cool. He's like, yeah, the amount that he can say and retain in his mind is insane. Yeah, if you've listened to us for a while, you know that Nico wrote in a few times with Nico's reading Nook from Hell and gave some book suggestions. But Nico, tell us a little bit about, because I'm pretty sure you don't do this anymore, but you used to like read books and then like send them on to like possible like screenwriters or explain what that career was. Yeah, it was like a book to film scouting. So it was the, uh, I worked for uh, 20th Century Fox for a while in Mm. their reading department and we would get books before they were published and basically write up a little report to send off to all the different agents and producers and stuff to see what books they potentially want to make into movies and it was right after the like gone girl explosion so Mm. there was a huge pull for all of these studios to do more like book adaptations because it's a good package deal Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a bit more of like a glorified middleman type thing, but the real great thing for me was like this database I had where I basically had access to like every book I could ever want to read for free, like year huh. before they came out. Oh my so God. That's so cool. Great. But no one cared about my obscure horror recommendations. Oh. <laughs> I was going to no. say, did you, did you find anything that they were like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to buy this and adapt it. There were a couple of books that I implored to them to consider. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And they've all gone on to make into movies and have had big success, which is frustrating. But mm-hmm. a lot of it is, you know, producers, one hears something they want to make, and then it's just all of them kind of in like a pissing contest with each other. And they don't really care what the readers are sending them so much. Mm-hmm. We're sort of low on the totem pole of that. Um, but yeah, there were a couple. Bird Box was a big one. I was, that I was just like, going to say, that's what I remember most of all, was you tell me about Bird Box way yes. before the movie. Oh, yeah. And that one, it was like, this book is terrifying. It's a perfect movie. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty low. I was basically a glorified intern. So it was like a lot of mm-hmm. data entry and reading and getting to sit into the meetings with the execs and stuff, which was fun. But it was, um, yeah, it's, you know, eventually it started to make me hate both reading and movies and i was like maybe <laughs> time my to get job, out yeah maybe my job shouldn't also be my favorite hobbies oh yeah, yeah that makes so much sense because i'm like it sounds like it could be a dream job loving both of those things but i could also see how it could turn around just like i do a lot of social media i well i used to do a lot with ford but i always do a lot with the theater and it makes me 
like not want to do as much social media on my own time anymore. Like it sort of exhausts me of it. So I get that in a different way. Yeah, but... you blur those lines. You forget what's work and what's play. It's true. It's no All good. work and no play. <laughs> <laughs> Plus working in the same building with the Fox News people was not so fun. Oh, I bet. A lot of I crazies I can hanging imagine. around outside. I can... I can imagine. I'm sure you got the inside scoop about, uh, you know, how none of them are real. <laughs> what they say, they don't actually believe in. They're entirely different people from yeah. uh, what they portray on television a lot of the time. So, yeah. And a lot of people coming from out of town to pose with Sean Hannity cutouts and stuff. It's just like, <laughs> oh, so oh, weird. Wow. It's so bizarre. Weird. Yeah, entirely bizarre. <laughs> but fun would... to work in like Rockefeller Center. That was definitely oh, totally. just a good check check mark to have for I bet, yeah. Would you read like a book in entirety or would you read like a 15 or 25 page like excerpt from it? Like how would that work? Uh we had the whole books. So we would generally there was like the 10% rule. It's like if you get 10% through the book and you're like, I this is not working for me, then you're on to the next one because okay. there's like a hundred a week that come in. So wow. I was reading like five or six books a week for that job, which was also the other thing. It was like burning out mm. on that. Mm. But sometimes for nonfiction, they would send um like uh proposals so you would just get like a little snippet of what it was going to be and in those cases it would only be like maybe 10 pages or so Mm -hmm. and big name authors oftentimes they would send in a proposal to their book before they wrote it because they're like we know we're going to publish this year you know john grisham or stephen patterson stephen yeah. king i or imagine stephen where king. it's like yeah he can just give a studio an idea without even having written the book yet and they're like we're gonna make it as soon as you write that book we're turning it into a movie so oh yes yeah. and well although he is his own beast because he just pumps them out yeah I, I i'm pretty sure his method from what i can figure out is most of these books have already been written he just has manuscripts like he's just always writing so he has like manuscripts set aside that he's like oh i need to put out another book what's okay let's just grab this one out of the stack and send it to the publisher totally yeah he's a machine i think he's like 20 pages a day no matter what every day Mm -hmm. just forever it's crazy and you're a big stephen king fan right haven't you read everything that he's published yeah everything everything i did it all like I, you know, I'd read bits and pieces over the years, but then in college, I was like, I'm going chronologic, going to read wow. them all. Cool. And, and I've been keeping up since then. But yeah, it's like 60 something books. Wow. And honestly, maybe like two duds. He's solid. Even all during right. his crazy Coke fueled years, like, yeah, he, he could, he, he's just, he knows what he's doing. And yeah. One of the only ones I can think of, and granted, I've read only a fraction of his output compared to you, but um, Tommy Knockers is one of the mm. big ones I can think of that like good story. It just the book itself needed to be edited. And I know that was in the period where they just stopped giving him notes and editing him because they're like, you're golden, write whatever you want. And that book needed to get cut that down was the a little one- bit. That was the one where he says he doesn't remember writing a word of it because he was like drunk and cooked (laughs) out of his mind the whole time. I think that was like the last one before he went into AA and then got Mm -hmm. sober and like kind of changed his direction. But Tommy Knockers is, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's fun, though. It's fun. It's weird. (laughs) His newest one is great, too. He kind of wrote this amazingly cute fairy Mm. tale that he wrote during COVID times where he's just like, 
I'm not going to write horror because everything's scary. So I'm going to write this really comforting, happy, feel good book for everybody. Mm -hmm. I I already wrote the stand. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got that covered. Yep. (laughs) Which I would love to read. I'm just, it's so daunting. It goes quick. Really? Yeah. For as long as it is, it's it's the same thing with it. I thought like everyone's like, it is this massive epic. And I'm like, I read it real fast. It didn't feel like a thousand page book at all. So totally. And that's the thing with all of his, it's like the way he writes is just hard to put down. He knows Mm -hmm. definitely what he's doing. He's got that great voice. That's just like tends to gel with the way one's mind works. I think. And I always felt that too, with uh, Michael Crichton. Mm. similar like he was very uh not necessarily horror but sometimes jurassic park the novel is definitely a horror story less of a less of an adventure and more of a full-on horror movie but uh idea but yeah he he was always very readable to me in the same way stephen king was absolutely and he can make all that science jargon like pretty palatable yeah yeah Mm -hmm. suddenly you're like by the way about dna i now have this (laughs) like basic understanding of it or whatever and speaking of Jurassic Park, um, another horror book from this year that is actually from the same people who do the paperbacks from hell. They reissued this book called Carnosaur. <gasps> have you heard about that? I, I know the movie. Oh, Carnosaur? it's it is different than that. It's not about the toys. OK, yes, it's a different one. But <laughs> apparently, well, this book came out like 10 years before Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. And apparently it's what he got the inspiration from. Oh, cool. And it's a similar idea of like a park of these dinosaurs, except it's way more of like a slasher story Mm -hmm. and also like super sleazy and British and like (laughs) cool, really goofy. But it is it's I think it's been like before this, you could only find it online for like five hundred dollars or something insane. It's got this ultimate kind of mythic kind of vibe to it. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And that one highly recommend. Super ridiculous cool fun sounds awesome well it sounds like awesome for jeremy quite honestly yeah i'm gonna read that for sure i'm gonna go find that (laughs) yeah valencourt website you can't go wrong they have just like infinite all the best like old horror stuff they know what they're doing cool that sounds like a blast well shall we get to our shares nico yes absolutely i'm excited if nerded out young enough no i love it there's never enough (laughs) uh yeah dealer's choice um so i have a theme that i picked out love that (gasps) um because i think that's a fun way to kind of organize the two movies so Mm -hmm. the theme that i went with was sexual hysteria Oh, a good kind of common theme of horror movies. So I'm kind of going with one that's a little bit more repressed sexual hysteria and one more totally open wild. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the first one I chose for you guys is Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Fun. (sighs) Never seen it. I'm excited. Have you seen that one, Brandy Joe? I have, but it's been a little while. My favorite thing about it, I'll talk about in the second part. But okay. yeah, I'm excited to rewatch it. Cool. <laughs> and uh, number two, I'm going with Cat People, the Paul Schrader uh, <gasps> remake. Oh, that's yes! awesome. Yeah, we wanted to watch that. Oh, yeah, we, we've covered the rest of the Cat People series. We've done <laughs> right. Cat People and Curse of the Cat People. So finally to the remake. Oh my God, I'm so <laughs> excited. Someone was just talking to me about this like two days ago. I was cool. like, I've never seen it. Oh my God, that's so exciting. And Jeremy, let's hear Jessica Death is so fucking weird. I, yeah, it's going to be a fun watch. <laughs> so bizarre. 
Oh my god, those are great. Sexual hysteria. <laughs> I'm all for it. I thought you were going to give us Repulsion, which I feel like I need to rewatch. Mm, that would have been a good one, too. That's a movie the first time I was like, whoa. But that Here was we go. like 15 years ago. I could have chosen Final Girls, but I was like, I know you've seen that too many times. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know anything about Let's Scare Jessica to Death other than, wait, I do feel like it was... Uh, James Rolfe, angry video game nerd, when he used to do his uh, mm-hmm. yearly uh, reviews where he would do a movie review every day through October. I know Let's Scare Jessica to Death was in one of those, so I can like kind of see images in my mind of watching his like YouTube review video of it, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, I feel like it's similar to one of these like Happy Birthday to Me or... Uh, what you call uh, Alice Sweet Alice or something like that. I think there's murders happening and it's a mystery. Murder's a mystery. My favorite. That's all M&Ms. I know. Yep. <laughs> it's all in the title. Mm-hmm. And cat people. I mean, you know, it's cat people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except for that Schrader twist. I was going to say, I know with Paul Schrader, it's freaky. So <laughs> yeah, it's real I'm kinky. Excited. That's what I know. Yeah. So, kinky. Yeah. Love it. All right, cool. Well, let's watch them, and we will be right back. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. All right. Now is the part of the show where we talk about the movies. The movies that Nico the Knave gave us. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> exciting. Uh, which we start off back in the 70s, 1971, with Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And I'm going to read the IMDb summary, which says, A recently institutionalized woman has bizarre experiences after moving into a supposedly haunted country farmhouse and fears she may be losing her sanity once again. Jeremy, since you're the noob, <laughs> since you're the verge here. Okay, first off, uh, I love the tagline that's on the poster. Oh my god, I forgot the tagline. Yes, oh, I didn't look at that. Which, the the poster tagline is something is after Jessica. Something very cold, very wet, and very dead. Yes, <laughs> I like forgot what a, the tagline. What a bizarre tagline. It's hippies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got vibes of Harold and Maude in here, like with the hearse and stuff. I was like, oh. Yeah, this was this was this was fun. Um, all I kept thinking was the early 70s is a weird time for especially horror movies, like this transitional period. Cause like this movie uh sort of has vibes of like rosemary's baby you know that preceded it but rosemary's baby owes more to like the gothic horror that was it like that was still holding on through the 60s was a more gothic vibe but this movie also was giving especially with the whole like we're young hip people getting into stuff you know we're we're in trouble and don't even realize it like I felt like this movie was kind of predicting Texas Chainsaw that's going to happen a few years later. And then definitely some Friday the 13th, like the first Friday the 13th vibes going on as well. Uh, So, yeah, this feels like a weird movie that was caught between like phases of horror where, uh, yeah, like it owes a bit to what came before it, but was kind of looking forward to like 
what Texas Chainsaw was going to do in a few years and define like what modern horror is now. So yeah, it's, it's like a, it's truly an oddity. Maybe some Wicker Man vibes in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some like folk horror going on too. Mm-hmm. with like Wicker Man. Yeah. It, it, this thing is like a weird, um, it's not sure like what subgenre <laughs> it fits in <laughs> and it's just kind of floating out there. Yeah, I was reading that Jessica was sort of inspired by the governess in Turn of the Screw and Eleanor in The Haunting, Mm. and that the movie itself was sort of inspired by Turn of the Screw, and also Carmilla, which I guess is like a vampire story that came out like before Dracula. Yeah, it's an old uh, vampire uh, novel, novella, whatever it was. So I found that, and you know what it reminded me of, even though I've never been able to make it through this movie, Carnival of Souls. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Have you guys seen that? I love Carnival. I have, of Souls. have not seen that one. Oh my yeah, God, isn't it like, short? But I tried to watch it. and It felt so long. <laughs> yeah, it's like an hour long. Oh my God! The, I mean, I'm if if you are into like David Lynch uh, at his like dream logic iest mm. uh, Carnival of Souls, like clearly David Lynch is a fan of it. It inspired like his work. So yeah, um, it's always been on my list for sure. And this one definitely had that kind of yeah. artsy kind of vibe to it more so than a straight up 70s slasher flick. Which, for sure. For sure. But it melded the two. It kind of felt like one foot in both worlds, which was interesting. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, yes. I mean, the summary sort of talks about it. Jessica has just had this institution. She comes with her husband or boyfriend, husband, Duncan, husband, husband. husband. I think husband. And, and their friend with a hot mustache, Woody. And they come to this <laughs> house and they're they find this like squatter named Emily who's just like hanging out in the house. And then there's just like all this stuff, like weird history with the house, and like maybe like there's the like this someone who lived on the farm long ago who died in the water, supposedly, and haunts the grounds as a vampire. And then there's this like weird girl in like a white dress running around, which I thought they were one and the same. I thought she and Emily slash the ghost girl were one and the same. But then there's a scene where they're both there. So they're different people. Yeah, they are not the same. But it's just all this weird shit starts to happen. Is it like, is Jessica going crazy? Or um, is there really weird stuff going on? There's these weird townsfolks who all wear bandages and they're like dirty hippies. But like, are they like a cult? (laughs) Like, what's happening? That hit home, especially for me. I've seen the coming from New York, moving to that upstate town and all oh my the God, uh, yeah. old local people being like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and like, That's something I experience on a daily basis. So they hit the uh, they hit the nail on the head on that one for sure. And I love is it Zora Lampard. Mm hmm. I love her. I love her so much in this movie as Jessica. I think she's so good. I feel like if they remade this, I feel like Jesse Buckley would play that part. Mm, I could see her doing it so well. I love Jesse Buckley. She is so good. She's one of my all-time favorites. And you love that (laughs) that movie that I hated. What the? I'm thinking of ending things. Oh my fucking! Oh my god! God, I love that one. Talk about another one, though, that I imagine watching after everything I've read and everything that it would probably bring a little differently. But still, no. I, also, no, I'm taking it back. You need to read the book first, I would say. <laughs> okay. And all of his books are amazing. But the okay. movie is like very much a sort of what Kubrick does when he adapts movies, where he's like, I'm taking this crazy idea and I'm going all the way and beyond with mm-hmm. my interpretation of it so it's more like an homage to the book 
Okay, that's interesting. Mm. And the book is short. It's like 150 pages. You'd blast through it. Okay. And Jeremy, you haven't read or seen that, right? Not read or seen it, but I am a big fan of Charlie Kaufman. So I'm pretty sure I'm already like pre-programmed to enjoy the movie. So it's definitely closer to his like synecdoche type movies. Mm -hmm. Just really surreal. Yeah. And I do just like, I like his point of view. I love the way he looks at the world especially in his scripts so uh yeah i'm interested in it definitely yeah so then the thing and the first part i was talking about that i love about this movie is that image i sent to both of you that i'll put up on our instagram but it's just this like weird graphic that came out like at the time of the movie where you stare at it for so long and then you look at it like a wall and then like she'll appear before you a ghostly image it's better in the darker time than like bright daylight i found it was for the movie that image it was yeah, like a part like of a, the marketing. Oh, yeah, I didn't like know if it was just like, oh, that's awesome. No, I yeah, at just, least cool. I've seen it and like um online they have like some some press kiss kits and things, and it's like a part of that. So I think it was like put out in regards to the movie. That's very cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is yeah, cool. Definitely. And the director went on to do Prancer. I was gonna, <laughs> I forgot I, I read that and I was like from the director of Prancer. Let's scare <laughs> Jessica to death. Uh, also, what a misleading title, I have to say. I was gonna talk yeah. about the title because spoiler alert, it does set it up as if it's going to be like they're all in on it and they're trying to drive her mad, like gaslighting her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that is the case. It didn't seem like that really at any point, I thought of that I, like I, I, yeah, I this is yeah i don't know it it feels like this could go a lot of directions and uh by design they left it vague uh the filmmakers because yeah this movie asks more questions i feel than it answers at all i don't think it answers a single question i think it (laughs) just leaves everything open-ended so yeah i find it interesting like why have so you have the squatter girl emily who strikes a quite the resemblance to the daughter who used to live in the house who drowned according to like the picture in the attic which i'm surprised not everyone who looks at it is like hey like there there's like mention of it like once but no one's like um you're that girl you're that dead <laughs> girl but then like the other girl it's just so weird like why it's so odd that there are like two like a ghost girl and a vampire girl and the ghost girl's around for a while and then just sort of is the last time we see her when she's like showing her the body mm-hmm. and, and then they yeah. chase her and catch her and then she like we don't ever see her again i don't think yeah she's kind of more the uh it seems like the innocent harbinger kind of of what's coming and mm-hmm. sort of like the warning that omen character that they often have mm-hmm. of like you're doomed yes i also um watch this thing where they talked about how this was originally set up as a comedy about hippies and a lake monster. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that too? No. Oh, Amazing. Jeremy, you were shaking your head. Like, yeah, that yes. I, I saw that online when I did some after watching it. I did okay. some research and it, it was apparently the original draft was supposed to be a screwball horror comedy. Uh, and then they just rewrote it drastically into what it became. And then like wow. some of the people involved, like I think one of the producers or something said like, Hey, John D. Hancock, you can have free reign with this to do what you want, but there's just two stipulations. You have to have a seance, and there has to be a woman in white. And those things are here. (laughs) So it's like one of those um, 24-hour challenges where they're like, you must write a movie about... And then they draw things from like a hat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
St. Bernard, a magician. <laughs> and they gave it to the artsiest, fartsiest guy they could find by yes. accident. He's like, it'll be in there, but not how you want it. <laughs> yeah, I would say, though, for me, and you mentioned this already, but it, the movie that it most feels similar to is Rosemary's Baby, like with both like with those like people like surrounding like sort of like the groups of older people older Mm -hmm. creepy people and then also the like am i is this real am i going crazy is this happening that whole vibe i really Mm -hmm. feel rosemary's baby all up in this there was some very cool foreshadowing stuff i thought they did in it like one thing i noticed was that whole fresh eggs part where she's going in to get some eggs from that hen house and it's all roosters in there. I don't know uh-huh. if you noticed oh, that. Oh, I didn't. It was just like it was. I didn't a even catch that whole coop full of roosters, which uh-huh. would not produce eggs. No, and little like subtle kind of weird things, and just the fact that they're always eating just like raw meat. Yeah, for yeah. dinner. Yeah, I thought that was. Uh, I was like, was that raw meat? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Really looked like it. She's like yeah. so much blood. Really yeah, bizarre. Did. Yeah. Yeah, and the voiceover too. I really thought that maybe was maybe uh, my favorite kind of aspect of the movie that <clears throat> you get this strong voiceover from Jessica. So much of the movie of like her sort of wondering and doubting things. And by the end of the movie, her voiceover is kind of taken over by Emily's voice and it's mm-hmm. not her oh. voice anymore. But it's... Oh, I didn't notice that. And yeah, the voiceover by the end of the movie is not her voice at <gasps> all anymore. It's just Emily. Oh mm-hmm. my god, I didn't recognize that. That is so cool. Which I thought was very cool. Because for a while I was like, oh, this heavy duty voiceover is so over the top. But then once her voice was going away, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah, this is like weird. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's just all in her head. I think that she's yeah. I don't think it's all real. You don't think anybody had those vamp marks on them? Yeah, no. I think I think she was a vampire. No. And I think the town was her thralls. No. And that's that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you were always meant. Yep. Yes. Did any of you notice when they're doing the song at the dinner sequence, oh. there you can see a camera crew's like leg, like on like the left hand side of like one of the frames. <laughs> and just the fact that her hand was not moving on the guitar whatsoever. Yeah. Was super I did like that song though. I thought it, it was, was so great. funny. It, it was like, she was up. just sort of like, just moving her hand, just moving one little hand and nothing else. It was like, she was playing this beautiful song. I do love the title though, as much as like, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I just think it's a great title. And I always remember the VHS cover as a kid, but like mm-hmm. never, I never wanted to rent it. I think there was something about the image on the back was her coming up out of the water and that white dress. And I don't know. I, it seems like something I should have been into. I don't know if I was like anti seventies sorts of movies or what. I also don't think that the woman on the, the artwork looks at all like Zora. Oh no, no not at all. She has like long nope. hair. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> yes, definitely. I wonder if that was from the screwball comedy phase of, <laughs> <Yeah>. of marketing. <laughs> That's when I saw the movie for sure was Blockbuster back in high school, roaming the horror aisle and seeing that cover. And that was the only time I ever watched it. This is a first time rewatch for like maybe 20 years for me. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. It was very cool, cool to revisit. Yeah, there was a movie a couple of years ago that came out, maybe even more recent than that, called Let's Scare Julia, I want to say. And it's not a remake or anything, but it's like, that's a little too close to comfort. Yeah, 
to are they actually trying to scare her though probably i mean <laughs> maybe the lutz here are the voices in jessica's head maybe they're trying to scare jessica to death i really never got that vibe until you mentioned that i never I, once the movie ended i was like why is that the title because it never seemed like anybody was against jessica they all were trying to help her yeah yeah, it, it it seemed like it with that title, you go in expecting something like, um, I don't know, like Alice, Sweet Alice or uh, something like that, where there is sort of a mystery going on where she's getting framed or something like that. But that's just not really evident in this plot anywhere. Yeah, maybe she's got a big inheritance that they're trying to take from her or something. Yeah, and, exactly. But it was like she was just this poor, sweet, innocent woman who... Mm-hmm was struggling yeah i just think zora is so good just all of her like she's very unusual and just like kind of fun to watch she makes very interesting choices and i just dig her i think she's so cool i never i guess she won like an emmy for like kojak or something but oh i Mm. i missed that so cool (laughs) and she's in the exorcist three also apparently that's where i recognized her from totally she was the nurse i oh okay maybe I don't know. It's been a minute since I've seen Exorcist 3. So, yeah, because I saw it it listed in her credits and I was like, I cannot, I don't remember much about Exorcist 3. So, it's been a minute. So, thematically, Nico, what what did you say these movies, this one's sort of a sexual oppression, but you had another arcing, arching theme. Well, sexual hysteria was the theme. So, talk to me about that in this film. So, um, yes, there's a lot of, you know, hesitancy on her part of wanting to be intimate especially in this age of hippies where everyone's going to kind of swing and be wild and you know this new girl comes in and everyone's sort of attracted to her maybe her husband is attracted to emily more than her i think he even asks her at one point like do you think she's attractive and Mm -hmm. he's like oh yeah of course Mm -hmm. and um her sort of unwillingness to be kind of as down with that as the rest of them and where that kind of places her in their social strata and how that kind of, you know, reinforces sort of where she is in the group and then also what she's struggling with and that she's sort of susceptible more maybe to what is going on. Mm -hmm. I think there's sort of, yeah, I think, you know, this one I was going more with the repressed sexual hysteria and um i think there is uh you know i think in a lot of horror movies generally any slasher movie really it all comes down to sex most of the time yeah yeah. i would i think in this movie too i was kind of picking up on the vibe of uh jessica is is the hero you know she's our viewpoint and she is uh reads as repressed as you're saying like a repressed sexuality uh and then emily the maybe uh supernatural being like clearly she embodies a freer sexuality um and is you know the villain of the piece really uh and using sexuality to overpower everyone else and control everyone else so i think that was an interesting juxtaposition in this movie yeah totally even the whole town feeding on all the old yeah yeah town folk and everyone i assume she's banging everybody (laughs) (laughs) but come on if emily wouldn't have been there you know that woody emily and duncan would have had a devil's three-way i mean come on it would happen eventually with all those apples i mean apples are so hot well it's it's part of her vampire powers (laughs) (laughs) that was such a very clear imagery too of that whole garden of eden thing going on 
where he's mm-hmm. she tries to pick the apple and he's like, oh, it's poisonous. Don't try. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I didn't even put that together. And, and then Emily so just obvious. wanders up eating that apple just like carefree. Yeah. Oh, my God. I totally, totally forgot. And kind of leading up to Jessica's kind of fall from grace she's just running right through that spray of poison oh that moment orchard. too i was like i like how you're it's running behind the fumigation <laughs> truck like get out of there terrible the pesticide truck yeah horrible yeah. you better oh have God. eternal life and when emily pushes her in the water i'm like you are such a bitch i mean she is the villain of the story but i'm just like she said she doesn't want to swim huh? yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it is a it is a really weird little movie but I think it's well done enough that it's not like infuriating in that sense. Like it's just, it's done well. And I think like the performance, especially Zora, she's just so good. Um, but definitely a fun, unique little flick. Mm-hmm. Good pacing with the music is great. I thought there's some good kind of weird seventies electronic yes. tones that are yes. happening throughout that kind of keep it moving. Oh yeah. The score was really cool. Yeah. The score was cool. All right, well, Nico, if we have nothing else to say, why don't you give us a rating system? Ooh, a rating system for Let's Scare Jessica to Death? Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, how many apples from Ooh. the Forbidden Garden do you guys give this one? Uh, I go four. I'm going to go three and a half Forbidden Apples. What about you, Nico? I think I'm going with you, Brandy Joe. I think three and a half Forbidden Apples for me. I think I had a... Uh, memory of it from high school that was a little higher than this rewatch and i did enjoy it but i'd round it up to four but i think a solid three and a half i thought i was gonna go lower but there was something once the movie was done i'm (laughs) like i think it's got some sticking power like i gotta give it a a, a bump up for that for sure because this is a little it's so weird like there's nothing else like it that i can think of like you get like we said, you get kind of close, but this thing seems to exist in its own universe. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it truly feels like a cult classic. Like so many cult classics are so widely known at this point, but I feel mm-hmm. like nobody really knows about this one very well. In yeah. that sense, it really is like you could tell any horror aficionado to watch it, and there could be a fifty-fifty chance they have never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it still gets a solid. Scare of approval. That's a scare of approval right there. Sure the fuck is, Nico. One down. (laughs) All right, let's move ahead. And speaking about sexuality, we're about to get real freaky deaky now. (laughs) Freaky deaky. This is all all (laughs) over the place. So Cat People, the 1982 remake of the RKO Val Luton picture uh, on... Uh, letterboxed the tagline. Ooh, I like this tagline. It's they are something more than lovers who are about to become something less than human. Yeah, that's great. And the description is after years of separation, Irina and her minister brother Paul reunite in New Orleans in this erotic tale of the supernatural. When zoologists capture a wild panther, Irina is drawn to the cat, and the zoo curator is drawn to her. Soon, Irina's brother will have to reveal the family secret. That when sexually aroused, they turn into predatory jungle cats. It's fun. I love the color scheme. I love the updates from the original. It's like exactly like 40 years apart. I think the original is 42 and this is 82. Yeah. And I just think that the updates are so cool. Like it feels just kind of sexy and hot. I liked in the plot structure too, like the last half hour of this movie 
is the remake of the original, like plot wise, like mm-hmm. crams in like all the plot points from the original movie. But everything before that is a weird like origin story that Paul Schrader had come up with and got in there. That was uh, interesting. I like that. And then it was more explicit about the whole werecat thing, too. Like in the original, it could be seen as uh hysteria if you will like maybe it's not actually happening but in this that makes it explicit that like yes they are werecats <laughs> yeah and it ties to some ancient tribe of werecats mm-hmm. where you get like tied to a tree and then a cat comes and licks you and then you're one <laughs> i don't know exactly what happens in the very very beginning in the prologue I was confused about that as well some sort of ritual or mm-hmm. Punishment ritual, um, maybe some. I, I think there was supposed to be some dream logic at operation there in the beginning, where it's like a vaguely remembered past. Um, I'm assuming we're, I was reading like I think Schrader's giving us some sexual tension between the panther and the human in that scene as well. Like, mm. uh, yeah, so this is this thing's all about freaky sex. Oh, yes. And there's a lot of boobs, a lot of butts, boy butts, and you even see a little bit of a penis. So that made me happy. Yeah, Malcolm (laughs) McDowell goes uh, almost full frontal, not quite, but it's it's like side. (laughs) It's like full sidle. And I don't know that I've ever thought John Hurt is hot. I mean, I've never been like, ooh, gross, but like he was a snack in this movie. He was such a little cutie. I was like, yes, John, I heard you, okay? <laughs> also also the cast of this thing. I just constantly was like, oh my God, they're in this? Like every time. Yes, it's like, Ed it's like Jr. Yeah, Natasha Kinski, Malcolm McDowell, uh, Ed John Begley. Heard, Ed Bakley Jr. Every John, zookeeper. John Lorraquette. Annette O'Toole, Ruby <laughs> like, D. Yeah. Oh my God, it was a great cast. I loved Annette O'Toole, but okay. So in the original, though, and it feels like it's been too long, but the not Irina, but the other two lead characters, the man and the woman, they are like a couple, right? They're coworkers. It's it's a mirror of the original right. movie where the her 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 beau had a female friend that was kind of the, the other okay, woman. They were Be- just friends. Yeah, but she started- was like in love with her and like. Or yeah. at least, like, she was sort of jealous, and that's got it, yeah. got it, got it. They were developing, I remember, okay. there was there's sort of like some sparks there, too. That was because uh, Irina in the original was you know jealous of the female friend that uh, her husband had. So, the two scenes that stand out in the original for me are like the pool scene and the bus scene. Mm-hmm. And here, both of those are much brighter than in the original, like, mm-hmm. the, the bus scene is during the daytime, right? When she's jogging, isn't it during the day? Yeah, yeah. When she's jogging, yeah. And I, I was first like, oh, it's Luton's dog as opposed to Luton's bus because the dog mm-hmm. jumps up, and then there's like the secondary <laughs> yeah. bus. And I found the pool like I liked the pool scene, and of course, if you like boobs, you're gonna see some boobs. Um, but I found the original more effective in the pool scene. Oh yeah, it's because it was dark. Yeah this this one felt like it was leaning more into. You know, it's the 80s. So you have these transformation scenes that are pretty cool. Like, I think it was going more for uh, some of the gross out effects as opposed to your old school scares. Definitely yeah. a page out of the Howling book in terms of transformation style. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yeah. Kinda, the creatures inside you, you got to tear your skin off and it's going to be underneath. That is yeah. the Howling, right? Am I mixing that up? Yeah, no, I think that is right, right? That's that's the yeah. Howling. Yeah, they, yeah, he rips out of like his skin and right. Howling. Yep. Except before, like when she was kind of half turning, 
and her paws were kind of forming. It was like five little like boobs with pink nipples on her hand. Yeah, yeah. Claws. And it was oh, like Schrader is getting too horny with this one. There's also <laughs> that uh, sequence where uh, in the darkness where Malcolm McDowell is half transformed and he's kind of crawling along the floor. And like, I found that like super effectively like creepy, like that's horribly disturbing that mm-hmm. sequence where you're like, okay, you can see like his pants and his shoes still on, but he's crawling and his eyes are glowing. And it's like, that is so freaky. Talk about uncanny Valley, like that you're entering that territory there. Even when he wasn't transforming, I feel like he really nailed that just sort of physicality of like, Mm -hmm. he is a cat. Anytime he would kind of jump up and leap on something and skitter away and stuff, he really, he really felt like he was kind of still reeling a bit from that clockwork orange era. Like he had a strong Alex kind of vibe going on. For sure. For sure. And it's interesting that unlike a werewolf, as we typically know it, it's like you could stay a cat for a very long time. I don't know if it's just up to you. And he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to transform when he's like captured and he's in the cage. It's like, well, I'm not going to transform into a human because that would be like really weird. So I'm just going to stay a cat. Well, they said you have to kill to become human again unless you have sex with your with your sibling or with someone in your family then you don't turn into a cat but once you do you have to kill so once he killed ed begley then he Mm -hmm. got to turn back which Which, speaking of gore effects when he got his arm (laughs) ripped off i was like that is awesome that was awesome and never a more gooey transformation thing like they just leave behind that trail of slime yes Uh yes it reminded me of the slime in silent night deadly night four that falls all over her face oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. definitely but yeah and it is but it, it makes me wonder like the end that he spoiler alert that he like keeps her in like the cage and he still like feeds her. I don't know. I don't I had know. Sort what of that a says. feeling about this movie after it finished, which I was feeling like, is this a remake of cat people or is this just Paul Schrader using this as like a weird jumping off point to have sort of a condemnation of where zoos were at that time. Yeah. (laughs) And sort of like zoos are bad and they make it so that animals are taken from their natural habitats and put in this inhuman, horrible place and forced to kind of identify with their keepers in a weird way, which is kind of what she ended up as. Mm -hmm. See, and I looked at it more like if you're a sexualized female, Mm. you need to be like, fed meat by your man like kept at bay you need to be like like kept behind bars that's where you belong you don't deserve to be out free and wild mm. and like living your sexuality that's where what i felt at the end and i i, I mean of course here we are we have totally different viewpoints but it, it just felt like the, like you needed to be caged if that's yeah. how you were and that, that's that's definitely a read people have of the original movie too what it was mm. saying about female sexuality. So I think he kept that tonally intact. Mm. That's still there. Just um, so unfair to her yeah. because so much of it is John Heard just really pushing for that. And then mm-hmm. to say, oh, now that I got it, I'm going to lock you up in a cage. Now you stay locked up, Panther lady. Yep, look Super what cruel. I did. I'm responsible for that. I took your virginity <laughs> and now you're my cat. <laughs> What's a super no. cruel zoo, I guess, was made me think that like every time they showed the zoo, I was like, oh, God, those poor animals in those tiny little nothing cages. 
Yeah. Now, as John heard, they kept calling him a detective. So was he a detective as well? Like an animal detective? Like a pet yeah. detective? Didn't they call him a detective sometimes? Am I crazy? I don't remember no. them saying detective. Oh, well, Maybe inspector or something like that. I don't know. Because he's some, some sort of like animal control, of. wildlife control thing. Okay. But... Well, I'm probably just making shit up. Yeah. And is the main character a well-known actress? I don't know that I'd seen her before. Oh my god, she is so oh, gorgeous. Natasha Kinski. She's yeah, great. She she uh I think this was her heyday. Mm. Um but cuz she's the she is the daughter of Klaus Kinski. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Who's what? Who was he? He was uh big German Nosferatu actor. And, um, yep. uh, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. he worked with Werner Herzog. Like They were kind of like an inseparable duo. But Klaus, mm-hmm. Ki- Klaus Kinski was known for his erratic... Uh, and in fact, if you read about what she said about her father, it's pretty awful. But he was an mm. abusive and not great guy in mm. uh, uh, home the home environment. But yeah, oh. Klaus Kinski is... Uh, he was a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> and gave some crazy performances over the years. So. Yes. Yeah, she was giving me real sort of Isabella Rosalini meets like Feruza Bulk kind of <laughs> yeah, thing going yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. That I yeah. loved. I was like, oh man, yeah, she had that kind of Feruza Bulk craft kind of look yep. going on. Yep. But when yep. I first heard her voice, I was like, wow, after all the years of seeing the poster and her image, that's not what I expected her voice to sound like. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be much lower and different and not like as high pitched as it was. Yeah, strange that her and Malcolm McDowell were supposed to be siblings. I was like, they have wildly different <laughs> they accents. Look, yep, exactly. Um, I did read an interesting letterboxed uh, review somebody had written that I didn't even put it together, but... This came out, you know, in 82, released by Universal. And then a matter of months later, Universal releases John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, and they pointed out that both of these are remakes or both were remakes of RKO pictures. Um, and But both were uh, box office flops. Mm. So it seemed like, man, if they had been successful, we probably would have seen a bunch more RKO movies getting remade, horror movies being remade by Universal. But both of these were kind of experiments and flops. And so they moved away uh, from that slate and those older movies remaking them. Well, did Universal remake The Blob, too? Because that was right around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was, was another near, one of those 50s. Two. The great yeah, special effects movies. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I don't know if that was universal or not. I can't remember. And I do have to say that David Bowie song is oh, amazing. Yes. Oh so my God. good. So good. And Giorgio Moroder did the uh, score in this, and it's also incredible. Very Giallo kind of score. Thing yeah, the yeah. score is fucking great. It yeah, is like so good. One of the key things I'm like, I think if it didn't have this soundtrack, it wouldn't be nearly as entertaining. So this is one where the soundtrack helps a lot. Yes, because I did. Uh, yeah, I struggled with this one more, I will say, than Let's Scare Jessica to Death. I hadn't seen this one in almost just as long, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, having seen Cat People, the original, not that long ago, I was like, this one could have done with being a cool 65, 70 minutes. Yeah, exactly. The length was kind of what hurt this. I think it went too long. Um, and also watching this, though, there were like sequences in it that I suddenly was like, oh, I remember this. So I've seen part of this movie or i'd seen it long enough ago that i forgot that i'd seen it uh and forgot most of the movie but yeah there were sequences that suddenly i was like boom okay i re- i recognize this scene i remember this so i 
been exposed to this at some point over the years. It's got some good set pieces for sure. There's a couple mm-hmm. of like classic, like in that boathouse when she's the leopard with him was mm-hmm. pretty. And just the fact that they really had a real leopard for I was so much say, of this movie is crazy. Yes. It's wild. <laughs> when man. he was doing the autopsy, which that was a great special effects scene uh-huh. um, with the weird hand coming so out of the creepy. leopard. Yeah. But you could tell that was a real leopard that was like drugged or asleep or something. And like, uh-huh. he's just tugging it around. And yeah. Yeah. If oh this were God. remade today, there'd be so much CGI. Yeah. Yes. All I appreciate like the real animals because the original, there were real animals, but like it was so much of it was like in the shadows when it was actually like, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, Irina. So yeah. it was fun here to have real cats and practical effects yeah not even just like cutaway shots like you could tell they these actors were in the shot with this leopard with like, an animal like, risking their lives pretty john, much john heard was probably like right in front of an actual leopard half the time so yeah like so naked. pretty yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hot um, yeah. just fyi the blob was columbia tristar okay mm. Got it. And was that around the same time? That was later. That was like 87 or something, right? Yeah, I think it was a few years later. Yeah, it definitely was later. But I don't know when. But yeah, The Blob. That's another one I rewatched for the first time in a very long time recently. How was the rewatch? I thought, honestly, the special effects were right up there with the thing. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how great they were. Yeah, like, I think they were really great. The Blob remake definitely holds up. And way more fun. The thing is very serious and tense. The blob is just a good old time. Ridiculous. The snow machine. Mm -hmm. So silly. So silly. It's Paul Schrader, man. Like he's always just got like weird sex that you can tell he's too horny and he's like mad about it. Like that's (laughs) that's what comes through in like all of his work. Yes, that is Is very true. Did he direct Basic Instinct? No, that was uh, Paul Verhoeven. Oh, right. Paul right, Schrader right. wrote uh, Taxi Driver. Ah, this big okay. thing. And Raging Bull, he wrote. He wrote mm-hmm. a couple of Scorsese movies, but he's been directing these late, recent ones, uh, this sort of end of world trilogy, like, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, Reform- First Reformed. First Reformed. Or yeah. Ethan Hawke, where he's the priest who flagellates himself because of climate change. Oh, and uh, the card counter. Yeah, with uh, Oscar Isaac, where he's sort of a dissolute poker player that's like at the end of his line. Just a lot of really morose, sexually yeah. depraved movies is sort of his go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Nico, uh, what's the rating system here? Mm, I'm going to go with nipple fingers for this one. <laughs> uh, all right. Out of five nipple fingers, I'm going to. I'm going to copycat myself. I'm going to say three and a half again, three and a half. That's what I'm going with. I am also giving this three and a half. And Nico, I'm going to go with a solid three nipple fingers on this one. But one of them's a thumb. So it's a little girthier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I almost went three as well, but I gave it a half star for the David Bowie song. Oh, that's true. So good. So I busted the score. It is great. We have another. Scare of approval. Scare of approval. Yes, we sure do. Yep. I also think it's, I don't know, I just think it's cool that we now have completed a series. Cat People. We've watched all the Cat Peoples that exist. Is this the first series you've completed? Yeah. No, technically thanks Killing, but those were only two movies, so that barely counts as a series. But yeah, yeah, we've watched all the Cat Peoples, so awesome. 
Yeah. I'm glad to contribute. Have yeah. you seen Curse of the Cat People, Nico? I haven't. No, I've oh, only ever seen the first that. one. You yeah. should watch that. Yeah, it's really I want to watch all the Valutans for sure. Yeah, they, they're good. Well, Nico, how can people find you if they would like to follow you or anything like that? Are you on any of the socials? Anything you want to plug? I'm on Twitter. I don't have too much to plug right now. I've got some very fine unpublished books that if anyone wants to put out into the world, they're more than welcome. But Amazing. And how can they happen. follow you on Twitter? <clears throat> I'm Osneko, S-E-S-N-E-A-K-O on Twitter. What is that? Um, Osneko. Oh, Sneeko. Oh, Sneeko. Fun. And um, yeah, sharing a lot of good horror stuff. Nice. All that kind of thing. But nothing too much to promote, just my love for horror and horror books, which I do uh, share a lot of what's going on in the indie horror book world and a lot of stuff like that on Twitter. So if people are interested in reading some more spooky books and little lesser known stuff that aren't Stephen King or Dean Koontz or anything like that, then (laughs) you can definitely find it on there. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Yeah, this was great. So much fun. Some good movies, some ones that we needed to see. Mm hmm. I hope yeah. we're all sexually hysteric now. I'm so hysteric, always sexually. You, usually, usually I am. So <laughs> yeah, just not today. It's just a little, not today. Yeah, your, little... your, your levels are a little down. My you levels are today? low. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you want to write us, scaring is sharing at gmail.com. Follow us on Insta, scaring is sharing. Hit us up, write us, rate us, review us, smash the like button. Smash that like button. Yeah. Well, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Mm, And keep watching the skies. Yes. And keep watching and talking about scary movies. Why, Nico? Because scaring is sharing. (laughs) That's right. Bye. Bye. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.